0: So during my first year of seminary, when I was back in Princeton, I served as a hospital chaplain working at a medical center that was 30 or 40 minutes away uh, from the seminary. And and I had to be honest about that. I really had not done a lot of pastoral care. I'd done no pastoral care at all in a hospital setting. I had a significant amount of youth experience and camping experience, but no real experience of trying to sort out what it looks like to be lying in a hospital bed, to be sitting in a hospital bed, to be dealing with whatever it is that that might come your way because of, of being in the hospital. And, and I remember numerous conversations that would happen between my supervisor, who was a Presbyterian pastor as well, and then one of the Catholic priests. And we would often sit in the office and talk about life and death and grief and suffering and sorrow and and try to figure out how do we pastorally deal with all of that. And one of the things that happens, or at least in the hospital where I work that happened, was that even though I was a Protestant, I had to figure out how to do the last rites. Because if a Catholic patient was near death and they wanted the last rites administered and there was not a priest on duty and a priest couldn't get there in time, then we Protestants were equipped to be able to do the last rites and offer God's blessing over a person's life. So I remember one day I was uh, out doing rounds and the pager went off and I was notified that a patient wanted to see the chaplain. And so I made my way there. And as I got there, I had heard that this patient was Catholic. And, and I walk in the room and they obviously did not need last rites. But as I walked into the room, I could see them look at me as though, is this really the chaplain? I was not wearing a collar I was 24 years old. I probably didn't look like I had experienced a lot of life. And they had just requested the chaplain to stop by, the priest to stop by. And so I walked into the room, and and we had a, 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 a nice conversation. And then I offered to pray. And the response to me was this. No, thank you. But on your way out the door, would you please page the priest and have him come pray with me? And I thought to myself, do I not count? I'm in seminary. I'm trained to be a pastor. But really what this person was saying, and they were nice. Well, they were somewhat nice about it. They were saying, this was great. Would you send in the real priest now? The one who really knows what's going on. And I was somewhat offended by this. But in the real sense, it was this person saying, I, I don't know if you know what I'm all about. I, I I want to see the priest. I want to be visibly reminded of the priest and what the priest represents. But I also struggle with that. of saying, you know, we all, all of us have this priestly responsibility that, that each and every one of us, regardless of our denomination, we have this responsibility to, to help bridge the gap, if you will, between God and others. That was that was one of the great hallmarks of the Reformation that Martin Luther talked about the priesthood of all believers and and, and in saying that, he was saying that we um, we all have equal privilege to God, that we all get to be in communication with God, but we also have the responsibility of seeking justice and seeking righteousness for the sake of the other. That's part of our priestly responsibility. But this morning, we want to talk about not just any priest and not just the Roman Catholic priest. We want to talk about the great high priest. And in the Old Testament, the first high priest, you may recall, is Aaron. And so we're going to look at Aaron a little bit. And then the ultimate high priest is Jesus Christ, the one who is the perfect mediator between God and humanity. And so, like I said earlier, the author of Hebrews, the preacher of Hebrews is going to take us on a little journey back to the Old Testament, which he often does, to help us to see how what's happening in the Old Testament foreshadows and prepares us, serves as a typology, if you will, of the arrival of Jesus. Here we read Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So here the the preacher is talking about the Old Testament high priest. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and he was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now there is a lot going on there and we're going to try and unpack some of that today as we talk about this role of the high priest and so we begin with the the, the notion that that takes us back to the Old Testament and takes us back to the story of Aaron, who was the first high priest of Israel. And we know and we read that Aaron was called, he was appointed, and he was set apart. So that's one of the first things we know about a high priest. We read about this in Psalm 133. We reference this passage a lot. I think it's a very important one for us in talking about seeing one another set apart. Verses 1 and 2. How good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. This is saying Aaron was anointed. He was set apart. He was called. He did not rise to the ranks to be high priest. You were called and you were set apart. The second thing about Aaron, and and this is fascinating and we don't have time to, to kind of dig into all of this today, but it's the clothing that Aaron wore. We we pick up some of this, and I'm just going to read some of these verses from Exodus chapter 28, because I I think it's interesting how the clothing of Aaron tells part of the story. So this is Exodus 28, verses 2 through 5. God speaking to Moses. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron, to give him dignity and honor. To all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters, that they are to make garments for Aaron, for his consecration, so he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. And so that's part of what is being made. And then we keep reading, we skip to verse 9. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel in the order of their birth. So there's now the 12 tribes, six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones, the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings, fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. And now this is the key line, Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders As a memorial before the Lord. So when Aaron goes into the Holy of Holies, when he approaches God, he carries the weight of the tribes, of the names, of the people of Israel on his shoulder. And then we skip over to verse 29. We read this. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart. On the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. So as we read through Exodus chapter 28, we we also hear about the names of the tribes of Israel being placed over the heart of Aaron. And so then in verse 29, we read that he, he bears the names of the sons of Israel over his heart, on his shoulders and over his heart. Aaron is to bear the nation of Israel into the presence of God. He is to bring his heart into the presence of God, this heart that is covered with the tribes of Israel. He carries the nation and he goes in. And the third thing that he does that, that we read about is that he, he is the mediator between God and humanity. As he goes into the Holy of Holies, he is called to offer atonement for the sins of the people. He cannot forgive the people. Only God can forgive the people. But Aaron is the one who, carry, who bears the weight of the sins, who carries that in and offers that to God so that there might be a word of forgiveness spoken over the people. There's a number of places we read about this. I just want to kind of highlight that, highlight one of those, Numbers chapter 15, verse 28, to give you the sense of this is what Aaron was all about. It says, The priest is to make atonement before the Lord for the one who erred by sinning unintentionally. And when atonement has been made, that person will be forgiven. And so the role of the high priest, though they could not ultimately bring mediation, bring forgiveness, they went before God. And helped atone for the sins of the people of Israel. The final thing the priest did, the high priest did, is they lived amongst the people. They were one with the people. They understood the cares and the concerns of the nation of Israel. They were not high above them. They did not live apart from them. They lived in the midst. But because of that, it also meant that they were also li- likely to sin, that they also fell down, that that's part of the reason why Hebrew says they had to make atonement for themselves. And we see this from the very beginning. It did not take long for the high priest of Aaron to mess things up. You all may recall back in Exodus 32, the nation of Israel is growing weary of waiting for Moses to come down. They're like, I don't know about this God, and, and he hasn't been that great so far. So Aaron, why don't you help us out and, and, and let's create some gods that we can see, some gods that we can worship. And there's this great line, Exodus chapter 32, verse 24, after Moses has come down, he's speaking to his brother Aaron. And Aaron says this, So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came a calf, because the people were worshiping. So the problem with the high priest, the human high priest, is they're fallible. And so what we needed, and what we need, is the perfect high priest. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary on the Sermon of Hebrews, has this at the beginning. He says, as he speaks about Jesus, He is the prophet through whom God has spoken his final word. He is the priest who has accomplished a perfect work of cleansing for his people's sins. He is the king who sits enthroned in the place of chief honor alongside the majesty on high. See one of the things we find in Jesus is that he fulfills all three offices of the Old, of the Old Testament. He is the prophet who speaks forth the truth of God. He is the priest who who brings reconciliation who, who becomes the sacrifice who offers the sacrifice and becomes the sacrifice so that our sins are forgiven, and he is the king who rules on high and so I think this is part of the reason why the preacher of Hebrews introduces us to the strange guy called Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is an interesting person. His name only appears 10 times in all of Scripture, twice in the Old Testament, here in Genesis that we're going to read in just a moment, and then in Psalm 110, and then eight times, eight times in the Sermon on Hebrews, twice of which we read about today. So we read about that Jesus is in this this legacy of, of Melchizedek, this high priest that we read about. So we want to take a look at Genesis chapter 14, Verses 18 through 20. The context here is that Abram has, has just rescued Lot. He's been in battle. He's been victorious. He's making his way back. And then we, there's just this strange conversation that happens. Verse 18, Genesis 14. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So we have Melchizedek, who we are told is the king of Salem. Melchizedek actually means the one of righteousness. He's the king of righteousness. And we read that he is the king of Salem. This king of Salem is more than likely Jerusalem. And so there's a lot of foreshadowing happening here. With Melchizedek and Abram and the interaction that they have, and 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 as, and as we read through this, that he offered to to Abram this bread and wine, and we read that he was a priest of God Most High, but he was also king. And Abram and his response to what Melchizedek has done brings in the full tithe. This is you know one of the ways in which we understand how we are to give our finances to God. It comes out of this this this. Illustration right here of Abraham and Melchizedek, that Abram responds back to the 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 honor and the glory of what he sees in Melchizedek. He gives him a tithe of all that he has. But what the preacher of Hebrews is going to say is we know how great Melchizedek was. He is a priest forever. He was king. He's the king of righteousness. And Jesus is even greater. Jesus is even better. Because when we think about the four things that I talked about earlier of the high priest of the Old Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things. Jesus is called by God. He's set apart by God. You remember when he goes to the Mount of Transfiguration and, and Moses and Elijah are there and God speaks from the heavens and this is my son, he says, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is called at that moment. He'd been called before, but then it's a very audible voice of God saying, you need to listen to him. Jesus didn't wear the the high priestly garments. But what I love is this, is he carried his people. If you think about Aaron and the, the garments that they made for him, it was so that he could carry the nation of Israel into the presence of God. And what Jesus does for us is he comes looking for us and carries us. You think about the one sheep that gets lost. What does the shepherd do? The shepherd who represents Jesus, he goes looking for that lost sheep. And when he finds that lost sheep, he picks up that sheep and he carries him home. And there is a celebration. This is what Jesus does for us. Jesus is the perfect mediator between God and humanity. He only has to go in the Holy of Holies once. Because then he enters God's presence forever. Because he makes that perfect sacrifice. There is no other sacrifice needed. Because of what Christ has done for us. He pays the price. So that we might have everlasting life. And that we might have abundant life. And the final thing is this. He lived amongst us. But instead of being disobedient like Aaron was. He was obedient unto death. And in his obedience. He taught us how to live. And he taught us how to pray out of his obedience, we, we can go to one now because we know that there is one who empathizes with us. There is one who has been there before us. There's one who rules on high for us. And so my friends, that's why I think in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, these are such great words of encouragement for us about how we pray and about how we live our lives. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, The preacher of Hebrews says, do you understand what Jesus has done? Do you understand the obedience that he has had? Do you understand how he has gone through the heavens and he is now with God? Do you see what he has accomplished? And now he is on the right-hand side of God the Father. He is the perfect prophet. He is the perfect priest. He is the perfect king. And do you know what? We get to approach him. And this is very important, this verse 16, that we are to approach God's throne of grace with confidence We don't just know about God's throne of grace. Just knowing about God's throne isn't that great. We actually get to approach it because of what Christ has done for us. And not only do we approach God's throne of grace, we draw strength from it. That's why this preacher of Hebrews is saying, you got to keep going. God is with you. Christ has done it. Christ has accomplished everything that was talked about and foreshadowed and pointed to in the Old Testament He is the prophet. He is the high priest. He is the king. So live confidently. But I want to go back to something I said earlier in the sermon. And that is that because Jesus Christ is the great high priest, and that because we are the priesthood of believers, not only do we have access to God and access to Jesus Christ, We also have a calling place on our lives to live with justice and to seek out righteousness. To be priests, to behave as priests. And and it doesn't matter if you've been to seminary. It doesn't matter if you're Protestant or Catholic. It doesn't matter if you feel pastoral or not. You are a part of the priesthood of all believers. I'm a part of that. And because of that, there is a calling on our lives to care for the least of these. In Ezekiel chapter 22, there is, there's problems with Jerusalem, problems with Israel. Not, not a big surprise. We know this happens quite often, but they are not caring for one another. They are, they are, they are not living for one another. They are treating each other with inequity. They're not being speaking for one another. And I'm not going to read all of this, but but I'm going to read one verse from this in just a moment, I promise. But he's talking about how the people of the land are abusing others, extortion, robbery. They're not treating the foreigners with equity. They're mistreating the foreigners. They're oppressing the poor and the needy. There is no justice. And then we read this in Ezekiel 22, verse 30. God is saying this, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. God is looking, and he's saying there's a breach in the wall. You all are not taking care of others. You are mistreating others, the widows, the poor, the orphans, the foreigners amongst you. You are not caring for them. And God says, who is going to stand in the gap? Who is going to mend the wall? Who is going to care for the other? And I want us to think about this. How do we stand in the gap? That in this sense that that, that we are called to have priestly attributes, that we are called to live with righteousness and with justice. When we look around, Where do we see suffering? Where do we see injustice? Where do we see people who have walked away? And then what are we going to do about that? Because that's the beauty, I think, of Hebrews that we're reading about in the the text, especially today. That we get to, because sometimes we're scared and sometimes we're nervous and sometimes we're not really certain how to move out in justice and in righteousness. But the preacher of Hebrews says, you know what, you get to approach the throne of grace. And you get to draw strength from the throne of grace. So make sure you do that. Ezekiel says, who is going to stand in the gap? I think that's one of our great privileges. That we get to stand in the gap. That we get to help to bring and to mediate God's justice and righteousness. To a world that is struggling. Even as we begin to move out of COVID now. Let's keep our eyes open for ways in which we can stand in the gap because we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens for us, who was called by God, who carries us, who offers the perfect mediation, who offers perfect forgiveness and who promises to be with us. What a great God that we serve. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for the great high priest of Jesus Christ. The perfect fulfillment of all that you have planned. Lord, may we approach your throne of grace with confidence because we know Christ has gone through it. He's been there. He's done that. And we get to participate in a full life because of it. Help us to remember that he empathizes with us. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to grieve. And because of that, he can be our strength. Lord, thank you for our great high priest, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.